Your attention, please. <laughs> the Walt Disney World Railroad, now boarding for a scenic trip around the Magic Kingdom. Board. All right, Brad. Well, first things first. Um, I was listening to last week's episode, as I always do, and man, I really uh, sounded like a ding dong when we were talking about the monorail. Like every every single point I made about the Skyliner and how it was more functional than the monorail was like completely true about the Skyliner too. And I was honestly a little bit embarrassed uh, that I just was so. I don't know, it's just incoherent. Like, it was embarrassing. But I just wanted to clarify the point that my dumb brain was trying to make, but failing miserably, was that the Skyliner feels much more uh, functional than the monorail because it constantly moves. The monorail has a crazy line and it backs up and you have to wait a long time to get where you're going, you know, on the monorail if you're leaving the Magic Kingdom, you know, when it's busy. And the Skyliner just never suffers from that. So the Sky the Skyliner does get a long line. So I don't I don't know about that, but it, it does get a long line when you talking about how many people are in it. It is not a long line time wise. Yes, exactly. And that and I feel like that is the big difference. And that I will a hundred percent agree with you with. I, I still, yeah, I, I was never going to back your, the monorail isn't a valid means of transportation versus the Skyliner, because like you said, they, they are very similar, but... Every single thing I said was totally true about both of them. I just, I... But the point, but that point, yes, that totally makes sense. In editing and listening back, I was just like, no, you idiot. The point you were trying to make was that the monorail is more like, it feels much more like a bus in that you have to wait. You have to wait for your train to come, and I know for safety reasons they have to limit the amount of trains on the on the line, but man, it would be nice if they had one or two more, because sometimes you sit there for a while, and there's just nothing. It, it, it definitely feels bad, man. Well, and, and here's something I wonder, because I am, am perhaps without... Uh, Perhaps I'm I'm just wishing to wish, but I'm choosing to believe that the monorail is not dead yet. Um, and if it's not dead yet, then I also believe that at some point it has to get an upgrade, right? Like it's it's due, it's past due, well past due for an upgrade. And if there was an upgrade that you know put newer vehicles on the tracks. It could be newer vehicles that could take advantage of all of the, uh, um, what all of the changes that have been seen in technology and everything over the past. How long have those been? A uh, thirty, forty years now. I I can't even remember the, how long the mark. <laughs> like for like, have you you've seen pictures of the cockpits, right? And mm-hmm. you've heard about you know the different ways that things are handled. And I feel like if you were. If you were to start from scratch, and, and now that doesn't mean like they're going to tear down the monorail, but start from scratch from the a lot of the technical stuff, there's a lot of things you could do differently now that would make them safer. And if they could be made safer, then you could probably put more on there. Because again, as you said, the, the reason why it's limited where it's limited is a lot to do with safety reasons. 
And so if you if you're able to change that, then suddenly you put more on there and that alleviates some of those problems. So I'm choosing to believe that at some point we'll get new ones. The computers will be smarter and and they'll be able to put a few more, you know, well, and it's not even just the computers, right? Like there's also just the uh, what the changes in the technology for moving these things. And, you know, if, if you put a bunch of small electric motors all the way down and they'll they'll have a better, you know, theoretically have a better ability to stop and all that kind of stuff, which is also part of the reason that you you're limited to the number like. There, there are a lot of technical limitations that I think can be overcome and, and be helped. But ultimately, at the end of the day, even with all of that, even if you put twice as many trains on a monorail track, I still think that a Skyliner is going to feel better because it doesn't have to stop for as long. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, at, no matter how efficient they can make the monorail, the biggest deficiency and the thing they cannot overcome is guests loading and unloading unless you were to i don't know like allow for dual load monorails which i don't see any way that happens because that's a huge construction project to undertake um but that's like it takes people a while to get on and off of the monorail and there's not a lot you can do to help them be faster at that well and the yeah and the like getting somebody in their jazzy scooter off the monorail is a fully manual experience where someone has to go and grab the ramp. Once they notice that person is on the monorail, which hopefully it was, you know, and maybe it was radioed, but especially if it's on the resort monorail, like they're not sure which resort that person is getting off at. And yeah, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff that can slow that system down. And now it's not to say that, the Skyliner doesn't get slowed down at times as well. Like, you know, sometimes there's someone who can't move as quickly and, you know, they're still in like the regular load line. And so they have to slow everything way down. And, you know, then the, the, it, it does slow down the entire line, but it's just for that little blip. Right. Versus them slowing down a, an entire car load and unload, which then, has to slow down the next car that has to stop and wait for that one to finish load. And, you know, it just, it ripples a lot mm-hmm. more, I think with the, with the monorail. So yep. I, yeah, I definitely agree that the line, you will wait longer. I think that's that perhaps that's the more accurate thing to say. You will wait longer in a line for a monorail than you will for a skyline. Absolutely. That's what I was trying to, I think say is the Skyliner is the, the monorail is, more like a bus than it is like the Skyliner. And the Skyliner is, I, I think, just a much more efficient... It, it, it's just a much more efficient way to get people around. Yeah, the Skyliner is much more like, you know, the... The, uh, what, change... Or, not change, but I guess the sample stuff... What is the, what is the word for that? Uh, gosh. Prototypes. There we go. That's the word Brad was trying to come up with. The prototypes that I've seen, you know, for like public transportation where rather than using buses, they use a lot of small electric vehicles mm-hmm. that are that are, you know, designed to hold four to six to eight people, whatever it is, but it's a it's a small number compared to a bus. But the idea that these could come pick up one person or, you know, a small group of people take them where they need to be and then immediately go on to do the next thing. 
and that's more what the the Skyliner does. Um, not uh, you know, I do recognize not exactly that, but it's more of that feeling than loading everybody onto a single vehicle to get them from point A to point B, which is right. what the monorail does, and as you said, is like a bus. So, okay, yep. good. I'm glad you I'm glad you cleared that up. I I was having a lot of trouble understanding why you had that disconnect with the monorail, but hearing you explain it, it now makes a lot more sense. My apologies. Hey, well, in credit to you, because you are the one who edits this podcast, and I would, if I were you, I would have been really tempted to go, well, I sound dumb, so we're just not <laughs> running that. So credit to you for running it and just going, well, I'm going to sound stupid, but I will sort it out next week. I'm no stranger to sounding stupid. So two days ago, as we record this, on the 17th, Rise of the Resistance opened at Disneyland. And if you remember, I got to ride Rise of the Resistance on the day it opened in the Magic Kingdom. And I had a very, very good experience with the uh, boarding groups and with the ride itself and the queue. And like, you know, my boarding group got called back and I waited in line like... I don't know, maybe 30, 45 minutes? Like, it wasn't very long. Got on, there was really no no hitch at all. And from what I understood, in, in Walt Disney World, that was most people's experiences on that first day. Um, remind me, when, when we get done talking about Disneyland, I do want to double back to Disney World, because something happened in Disney World uh, last week that I, I want to talk about that I didn't, I forgot to put in our show notes. But all right. Disneyland had a very, very rough launch uh, of Rise of the Resistance. It was broken down a lot, um, like a lot, a lot. Uh, I, I read that at around 1 p.m., people started to receive notifications that their boarding group would not be accommodated. So after you, th- like, a- after you got there probably ridiculously early uh-huh. and made sure that you got in a boarding group and a boarding group that seemed like it was entirely plausible that you were going to get to ride today you suddenly got a bling notify you know push notification on your phone and it's like oh look you don't get to ride the one thing you showed up for today Mm -hmm. and like there were day one there were boarding groups that did not get accommodated at disney world but it was like they got up into the hundreds yeah but you but you said that that they were ones that already sounded like they were going to be iffy whether or not they were going to get to them or not right yeah i think they got up to like 126 on day one uh, Disney did not, or Disneyland did not. Like they've, they've had a rough go of it uh, on this thing, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer, but kind of not surprising because you know it did open a whole month and a half later at Disneyland than it did at Disney World, which to me means they put when they realized that something was wrong, when they realized whatever happened was happening, and. The thing wasn't going to be ready. They put all of their engineering efforts into opening at Walt Disney World first, and they sent all the all the parts and everything, all the all the uh, talent and everything to Walt Disney World. Got it open at Disney World, and then you know had people had a had a smaller team working on the Disneyland one. Because uh, from what I understand, like they realized at at some point, like this is not going to work. You know, there was some point where they said, there's a fundamental problem with how we've designed this thing. It's not going to work. And maybe and it's going to, like, break down all the time. Hmm. Right. And we, we're going to need to redo this. And I, what, what my speculation on it was, they were already so far into building it at Disneyland that they would have to undo a lot of things they'd already done. And they weren't that far 
at Disney World, and so it was much easier to just change course and not have to backtrack in Florida. But uh, anyway, like it just, it seems like it was pretty dang rough at Disneyland. I can't, and, and people were saying like they waited for, once they got called, they waited for two hours in the line, in the queue. And like that is just so not what happened for, for me. And to me, that, that says this thing was breaking down a lot, constantly. And these people were waiting two hours in the queue because there were times when the ride wasn't uh, running. Because the way, like, the way this ride loads is constant. No spoilers. But the way that you load into the pre-show room uh, is, is constant. And there's a lot, of, a lot of constant movement. There's a lot of room to fill. And so the only reason you would sit there and wait for two hours in the queue, well, I guess there's two. There's one reason would be if they filled it too, too much. If they let too many people in, I guess you would wait. But it, it really feels like probably what they did was just, it was breaking down and, and having to be reset and stuff. And, and apparently a reset means that the entire ride has to be evacuated and like they empty it, reset the whole system, and then start allowing people into the pre-show room again. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which there are, yes, there there is a lot to empty from a lot of areas, and that would be a major... Well, because, I mean, if you think about it, the whole thing's 20 minutes. The, like, front to back, 20 minutes. If you're 18 minutes into this attraction and you get evacuated from it, not only are you evacuating you, but you're evacuating people who have been, you know, who are 16 minutes in and 15 minutes in and 10 minutes in and five minutes in and like... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that are currently in this in some, some stage of this right. attraction that are all going to have to come out. Yeah. So what's, I guess what's weird to me is the, the one, um, what fundamental difference between, you know, cause we, we had this whole boarding groups, uh, discussion and, you know, talking about how it's essentially just a fast pass when you get there and, you know, talking about how Disney might be able to implement some, something like that. The one fundamental difference to me between boarding groups is fa- and fast passes is fast passes indicate a specific time at which you are able to go and do that attraction. Boarding groups right. don't. So no. if boarding group seven is having a two hour wait, you just you just don't allow, you know, you just delay boarding group eight longer and you don't let mm-hmm. them come back in until, you know, that time. So if there were multiple people in multiple groups that were having this issue like you said that does not bode well and i hope that you know i i hope that whatever it is can get fixed but then at the same time i'm like they opened this one they started building this one first opened it later and you know and we've discussed many times the you know the the way that that probably went down and why it ended up the way that it did but at the end of the day they had a lot you know there there was a significant amount of time even if some of it was the ride dead they could, you know, you'd like to think they would have tested this a little bit better and caught whatever was causing that issue. So I sure, yeah, I so sure hope it's not something that is inherent in the system at this point. This, this Inside the Magic article that I was reading that it prompted me to, to want to talk about this. That we'll put in the show notes. So yeah, 10.20 a.m. Inside the Magic staff joined the line with boarding group 23. So 
1020, their boarding group was called, and they were in group 23. 10.30, so 10 minutes in, Rise of, Rise of the Resistance breaks down for the, and resets for the first time, meaning the whole thing was, was evacuated. Guess White and standstill line for 100 minutes. So almost two hours, just over an hour and a half. They're not moving. So 12.10, the line begins moving again. So that was 10.30 to 12.10 where they're not moving at all. And if the ride, in, like you, it, you know, if, as you said, the ride is continuing, which I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not. If, of course, you are correct because you've ridden this. But if the ride is always moving, that means that it takes a, it took them a hundred minutes to evacuate and reset everything. Yeah. That is a, that is a long time mm-hmm. to get that sucker up and running again. And I believe it. I believe it took that long. I, I bet you it takes 45 minutes to get everybody off. 1248, 38 minutes after the line starts moving, Rise of the Resistance breaks down again, and they were all removed from the line. And then at 110, guests start receiving notifications their boarding group cannot be accommodated. So 1020 to 110, three hours, they go from being in line to receiving notifications that their boarding group won't be accommodated. I cannot imagine how mad I would be Especially in the situation Claire and I were in, where that was our only chance to do it, was that day. If I had not only been called back, but waited in line for over two hours, and then told, sorry, you won't be accommodated today. Yeah, I just, I'm trying to, so I guess if, given, given that timeline, right, without it going down, they would have, they would have been through in like, 40, you know, like 40 minutes, which seems reasonable to get in line and get all the way to start boarding, right? Yes. If they had, if they had had the experience that I did, they would have gotten in line at 1020 and they would have been on the ride by 11 and then off at 1130. Now, when they said that, when they said guests were told that not all boarding groups, I don't think, and, and I could be wrong, but I don't think that means that their boarding group didn't get to go. That meant that that's when they started hearing that higher boarding groups, people were starting to get, hey, you you were in a board, you're in a boarding group, but a high boarding, similar to what happened at Walt Disney World, you know. But this boarding group may, this boarding group, we're probably not going to get to it today. Like I think that's more of what they were saying there. Well, the the message that people were getting at Disneyland didn't say may not; it said will not, and. That is, as far as I know, that is not the experience that people had that early in the day at Walt mm. Disney World. At 1.10 p.m., people weren't getting, you will not be accommodated. It was more, they didn't say anything. And you didn't get to, you didn't know you weren't going to be accommodated until you were in group, you were in boarding group 140, and at 8 p.m., they were only at 115. Right. You know, and it was like, okay, well, they're probably not going to get to me. And then you you got the notification that said you weren't going to get on it, and you got one of those fast passes that you could use on anything that included Rise of the Resistance. You could use it on that, and they could just come back the next day, any time. But I don't believe at Walt Disney World, that early in the day, people were getting uh, notifications that said, you will not be accommodated. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's rough. But I I mean, I... This is also this is also Disney anything opening day like 
Yeah. It's a it's yeah. a wild ride. I mean, it's kind of like somebody, you know, trying to trying to ride the the Skyliner when it first starts out and being surprised <laughs> when it goes down and you know, decides to to have a lot of issues. Like this yeah. is uh it's the nature of the beast, but yeah, it it proves that boarding groups uh, like and this is and I think this is why they did boarding groups, right? Because they didn't want to have a 5-hour line, which is what it would be without boarding groups, right? And right. then suddenly the ride goes and and knowing that the ride would go, you know, would very likely go down at some point during the day. And then suddenly you've got a five hour line that just turned into at the back of it, a seven hour line. Like mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Well, and having to accommodate like because Disney is not normally going to tell people who have been in lines, you know, if it's if it's closing time, if it's 11 p.m. and they're people who have been in line since 4 p.m. Disney's not usually in the business of telling those people, like, sorry, you're not going to get to ride this tonight. And so to, to I, I think they're trying to mitigate that too, like trying to keep the lines short enough that they can control who's in the line and who they have to turn away at the, you know, maybe at the end of the day. Right. So something happened at Walt Disney World last week I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm going to I'm going to name some f- like I don't know phases of the ride generically just so you have some context. So basically, uh at at the beginning you're in the pre-show room and then there's a ride vehicle and then you're in location 2. You know, the pre-show being location 1, you're in a vehicle location 2. Okay? Something happened where I get either the pre-show well, it wouldn't have been the pre-show. It would have had to have been the, the ride vehicle part. The ride vehicle part broke down at Walt Disney World. And normally, I would expect them to just shut the ride off, shut the ride down. Like, well, that vehicle part broke. We're going to fix it. You know, we'll be closed for an hour. What Disney was doing for like half a day was taking people backstage, completely bypassing the pre-show. The people went backstage and then entered location two. So completely bypassing both the pre-show and ride vehicle one and going into location two, like through a, through a, a door. So, like, so when, they went to, when they went to location two, location two, you typically would have already been in a ride vehicle or you would, have, you would disembark at that point? You would be emerging from a ride vehicle. Okay, okay, so... So it wasn't like they were taking you through a road ride vehicle section minus a ride vehicle. They were just no. jump they were just jumping past that little the the but I, you know if it's going to take a if they look at it and say this is a 4 hour thing to fix, do you want the entire attraction to go 101 or do you want them to let you at least see what you can? Well, yeah, I don't know. I would have been pretty pissed off. Oh, I if, yeah, yeah, no. I I agree with you. I would have been upset because I had been promised one, you know, promised an attraction and got a, you know, chunk of an attraction. But I, so I, I think this is all about like managing expectations. If you told me, Hey, this, you know, this is broken down rather than shutting it down. We're letting you do this if you want, or you can just not do it. Right. Like those are your two options. Then, then it's up to me to make that. Like, if I just show up and you're like, "Oh, by the way, uh, that whole section is shut down," do to do to do, that I could see how that would be a little bit upsetting. But if you leave it up to me to make the decision, I, I guess I'm, 
like I'm not ecstatic about it, but I get it and I do think that might be better for me than you're just not going to get to do this attraction at all. It's weird. It I I totally agree with you. It's weird. You know, not only, you know, this flagship attraction that they've made, not only are they not giving everyone the full experience, but uh you're going through like this door with a like a fire exit push bar, you know, to get from to get to the the next location. Like it, it I don't know, I just like I thought that was crazy when when I read that story. Yeah, and I've and now I've had to do backstage like to bypass sections of Q. I remember right. uh yeah. you know, doing like Toy Story Midway Mania and there was some issue where like fire curtains were down. Like there, you know, no no smoke was coming out or anything, but fire curtains were down and they were they were using backstage to get you around that part of the queue and have you render the queue. But yeah, I guess I've never I've never done that on attraction. The one maybe the question I would have is would you understand location two without the context of the pre show and location one, the ride vehicle section? Or would you is somebody sitting there explaining to you the the section of the ride that you miss so that you get context for what you're coming into? I no, you wouldn't understand. So you would have to have somebody give you a new context, right? Yes. That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean Maybe you know what? I oh I, gosh, I, Brad, I, I wish uh, can you fly to Florida yeah, sure, let me, and ride this? Well, but then there are still people listening who haven't seen it. And we're doing yeah. we're doing them uh we're doing them a service by not ruining it for them. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think I, I think I know how they figured the I, I know now know how they've taken care of it. You've seen Frozen Two, right? No. Okay, it doesn't matter because I'm going to ruin it for you because it does. Okay. I'm going to I'm ruining a small section of it for you because I don't think you're going to care. Uh, during one part of Frozen Two, Olaf is tasked with, uh, basically recapping Frozen One for some people. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, and he does it. He does a brilliant job of it. So. What I'm assuming is because it's at Hollywood Studios and we have access to Frozen and Olaf. I'm assuming Olaf is just there recapping the first two sections of Rise of the Resistance for everybody and problem <laughs> solved. So it was probably even extra fun because how many people can say that they've had a Star Wars film, uh, you know, described to them by Olaf? So that sounds kind of win-win to me, dude. Yeah, you've you've turned me around on it. Yeah, yeah. Now I I do agree with you, but. I, again, when the other option is nothing, like it's it's hard to say, just just give nothing and don't and don't give the option for it. Yeah. Um. So what is up with brunch at La Cellier? Okay. Yeah. So I threw this in the. <laughs> this was a last minute throw into the show notes. Uh, La Cellier until February twenty third apparently has added brunch as part of the celebration of the arts or whatever or sorry international festival of the arts my bad um and all i can think is of the uh bob's burgers uh, episode where they're talking about the war farts episode and they're you know pointing out that when you say war farts it sounds like you're saying war farts (laughs) yeah buddy i i i like me some high class uh some high class stuff but anyway they have brunch during the weekends for the for the International Festival of the Arts. And that's, you know, that's a I guess it's not really big news. And, you know, I'm where you're not going to go through like the, you know, here are all of the things you can have. 
If you want to know the things that you can have at brunch at La Cellier, uh, jump on over to, uh, you know, Disney. You can make reservations, all that good stuff. The thing that was interesting to me, and the reason why I threw this on here, is, and I, again, not going to, not going to go through everything, but, you know, like, we're talking about, you can get an appetizer with a steak and eggs, which is like a beef tartare, egg custard, truffle, toast points, right? Like, that's kind of probably the high end of the appetizers. And then the high end of the entrees, I would, I would say, is corned beef hash, okay? Nice. And then you get, like, a you know, coffee and donuts or creme brulee and you get a, you know, like the, the little table food, uh, you know, like a, a bunch of assorted pastries or something like that. Right. That's all the stuff that you get with the brunch. It's a, it's a prefix menu and you, you know, select one appetizer, select one entree, select one dessert sort of a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is $67. Wow. Well, not surprising, not surprising, but still, wow. It says something, you know, they, they say on there that you get your choice of drinks. I'm not sure if the drinks are uh, included. So, you know, like a mimosa. <laughs> but you do have a choice of them. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, press pot coffee, something like that. I hope that's included for $67. The reason why I put this on here, please note that this brunch is eligible for the Disney Dine Plan and is worth two entitlements. So it's, it's, it's a signature, signature brunch. brunch. <laughs> God forbid you do brunch and dinner. That's four. Yes, four yes. Well, dining credits, and that's the reason why I'm telling you, like, what the appetizers consist of, and what the you know, like the 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 big entree, the big appetizer, like, I just, and and again, I know dining plan is not for me, but I have done dining plan before, and I have thought Lasellier was worth doing, you know, using two entitlements and and having to do a quick service for dinner one night or you know, pay out of pocket for something or whatever it may be so that I could do La Cellier. But the, the, you know, getting, getting a steak and all that kind of stuff is way different than, than getting a, and maybe, maybe I'll see a review of this brunch actually and feel like it's, that's a big thing to entitlements, man. Yeah. And I feel like if I was doing dinner, I could put together a much more expensive menu for myself than $67. Oh yeah. Oh, easily. Easily. I just have trouble convincing myself that I'm I'm about to use two entitlements for a brunch. Yes, no. I I, I cannot imagine <laughs> I can't imagine going there and, and and doing that. I mean, it seems like the only reason it would be two is because it's La Cellier. Oh, that's absolutely what it is. It's got to be. It's got to be what it is. It just seems wild to to spend two dining credits on on a prefix thing part of what makes the dining plan seem you know like a like a deal you know or 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 seem fun is that you can go and be like oh man i'm gonna get the 60 dollars steak and this 20 dollars dessert you know and like i'm gonna treat myself and i'm gonna get a 10 dollars beer and all that and like but going in knowing like i don't know there's something about it being a, pre- a prefix type thing doesn't feel as as empowering. I guess I guess there is the argument of I'm going to treat myself to a seventy dollar brunch. Yeah, it just doesn't feel as empowering because they're telling you like no matter what you get, it's going to be sixty seven bucks. Yeah, and you and you know what? I kind of if especially if I'm on the dining plan, I need that fake inflated pricing to right. to make to make me go. Oh well, I you know I didn't get the 
uh, cinnamon roll French toast bread pudding entree, you know, that would have probably been the $30 choice. I got the corned beef hash, which was the $47 choice. So that was way which is better. A wild price for corned beef hash. <laughs> well, there is a, 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 you know, I'm making up all these prices on the spot. So, but if this whole thing right. equals $67, I'm just going to assume that that's. You know, and, and trying to think of the Disney way of pricing things, I think I think that sounds pretty legitimate. You know, and the the eggs Benedict would be let's call that one forty four dollars. You know, so the corned beef hash is still the the star, but mm-hmm. but Disney does admit that when they don't put any protein in there, which is you know what bread pudding doesn't have, then you know that that has to be that's that cheap option. That's like the the veggie platter or whatever. <laughs> Because veggie platters and cinnamon bread pudding are clearly the exact same thing. It's pretty crazy that French toast bread pudding is listed as an entree and not a dessert. Man, it's breakfast. Isn't that the wonderful thing about breakfast? You can always, like, ooh, pie, any other time of day, that is a dessert. But breakfast? Oh, that's an entree right there, buddy. Yeah, but then why isn't coffee and donuts an entree? Mm. It's it's like the exact, except for caramel. Oh no, it does have whiskey caramel, except for cream cheese frosting and ice cream. I mean, it's the same thing. It's donuts, whiskey caramel, and then coffee mousse. It's a carb with a sauce, and then a, like a a frosting slash mousse. Oh yeah, no, they're it's they're the absolutely the same things because because why is that why is one a dessert and one an entree? Because breakfast does not. Dessert. The word dessert does not exist in breakfast. So they. So they. Well, but I would argue that a donut is more of a breakfast entree than bread pudding. But but I'm just saying, like it doesn't exist. So they just had to come up with some arbitrary lines to draw. But yes, I I 110 percent agree with you. They could have copy pasted that cinnamon roll bread pudding and, and put it on both entree and dessert to let you have it in one place or the other. Maybe maybe it's a you know what it's probably like a bigger serving or something like that and maybe that's what makes it entree is it's entree size or something but you know I might I'm I I could see myself just doubling down and like give me that for an entree and a dessert because I don't like myself anymore and I want <laughs> but what a way to go oh man but oh the bad part is I'm reading this menu and I'm like I kind of want to go get some brunch now and we mm-hmm. re- we record like late late it's after 10pm local time that's not a time to suddenly go alright I'm going to go throw some corned beef hash into my body well let's go get some brunch and ride Rise of the Resistance and then we can talk about it alright sounds like a plan <laughs> Soon, it, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'm just waiting on you to Vin me the, Venmo me that money bro oh well, I guess that'll do it for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at MTM Podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MTM Podcast. You can visit us on the web at missingthemouse.co. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And until then, have a magical day. Nice